want to share one more announcement. On um, the very last Sunday is a fifth Sunday in July, and we have often the fifth Sunday sing and share nights. So there will be a sign up and a chance for you if you want to share, or you want to sing a song, and but we will have a blessing. Lane, of course, Lane and Brad joined us last Sunday, is going to share um, a testimony, clean comedy for the message. Um, just, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes of that, but also want you to be involved too. It's a great opportunity for us to just hear from one another, you know, because you guys have something to offer too, and, and a lot of times you sit there and waiting to see you get up here and he see what you have to say. So I encourage you to be a part of that. Our text, we're closing up chapter 2 of the book of John. It's actually a summary of Jesus' ministry thus far. So if you will stand, it's John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need a man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, um, we are fully known. real question is not just will I trust you but do you trust me uh, I pray you speak to our hearts this morning um, God we need to hear from you um, I just pray that your spirit would be free to continue to move in this place um, father that we might simply hear what you want to share in Christ's name we pray amen Yesterday, uh, Matthew brought Atticus to the house, and he brought this box of cookies. Uh, matter of fact, here's the box. I don't know if you guys have seen Crave at the Pinnacle. Crave cookies without limits. And I also read their flyer. It said, release the cookie monster within. So, you know, we're talking about some potentially dangerous stuff, and some of these cookies... Uh, I think weigh about six ounces. But I got a picture of some of the cookies. Uh, Matthew said that he talked to Devin and said, Mom and Dad will never pay $4 a cookie. So uh, we're going to get some cookies and take them over there so they can try these things. So we started out, and you know, it was just like cutting off a little sliver off of the edge to try each cookie, but that doesn't help you if you keep cutting more and more slivers of the cookies and try the cookies. Uh, so anyway, we tried some of each of those cookies. And man, Cindy just had to, she said, you can't have any more. You've got to stop. It's, it's time to quit. And then we discovered something. It said, well, they're good, but, you know, I, I think I can resist. Until Cindy put one of those in the oven for about seven minutes. And then we discovered, man, if we had done that in the beginning, they, you wouldn't see the picture unless, you know, if I waited too late. We would have tore into that, man. Because within us, even though I had just told my son, you know, I'm trying to stay away from sugar, you know, I, I don't eat that much sugar, I, you know, <laughs> right. 
once, once I, you know, that uh, inner cookie monster that was released. <laughs> as a matter of fact, Atticus got up this morning as we were getting ready to come, and I said, what do you want for breakfast? I said, you want some mangoes, some cereal? He goes in and looks at the cookies. I said, no, not yet. <laughs> we're going to look at this morning. It, it's a scary thought, but guys, it is the truth. Jesus knows you. Jesus knows everything. He even knows what you are thinking, which is quite a scary thought. Imagine how unnerving it is. If, if, you know, if you were in Jesus' day and you go up to Jesus and you say, Lord, I was thinking, and he goes, no, you weren't. I know what you were thinking, and that wasn't it. <laughs> That's the power of of Christ. There's no reason really to try to play games or wear masks because he knows from the start exactly where we are. It's interesting as you look in chapter 2 here he starts out he, there's a, a wedding great joyous occasion celebration and in the midst of that wedding it says that the disciples believed in him in verse 11 it says that then you drop down to verse 22 of this chapter and it says the disciples believed the scripture after Jesus had in righteous indignation spoke out against those who were misusing his father's house and then in verse 23 we see that many believed in him the many that were in the crowd placed their belief in him and yet what's crazy about it is you think Jesus would have just this glowing response to that belief but that's not what the text tells us Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men he did not need a man's testimony about man for he knew what was in the man Jesus knows you can't fool Jesus. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. You can't trick him. You can't deceive him. Because the truth is, he knows all. He is omniscient. Uh, I read a blog in, in studying this. You know how it, our knowledge is increasing all the time. And this is back from 2020. It was October 22nd of 2020. And um, in this blog, it said that human knowledge is increasing, doubling, Every 12 hours. That was three years ago. And now with all the talk about artificial intelligence and how our whole world is changing so quickly, and yet we have a God who has always known everything. And we have a Lord and we have a Master and we have a Savior who fully knows us. And guess what? He chose to die. For us. Uh, what a great thought to know of. And so he begins here, I want to look at these, is these unmistakable signs that were obvious before us. 17 times in the book of John, he uses the term signs. And he's, he's talking about a miraculous sign, something that we could not do. <laughs> it takes a supernatural movement for it to occur and this happened in these eight days. The, the two festivals that were being celebrated, 
the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Passover Festival. And what's frustrating about it as a preacher is, nowhere in the Gospels do we have any details about what these signs were. No details about when they occurred, to whom they occurred. It just simply says that they occurred. And that as a response, people were moved. Jesus got a lot of good PR, promotion, from these signs. As a matter of fact, as we go to the next chapter, and of course, originally when this was written, there were no chapter breaks and verse breaks and all of that. Directly it goes in, it says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. So these signs got the attention of Nicodemus as well. As they watched Jesus, these signs were evident. Now, um, as we look at miracles, as we look at these supernatural signs, oftentimes uh, they, when we say the word miracle, it is not used really in a proper way. Number one, what we tend to do is we over-naturalize miracles. Man, it's a miracle that I got that parking place. Yes. Or it's a miracle to have a, a sunrise, if you looked at it. Or a miracle at a sunset. Or it's a miracle when a baby is born. And yes, in the sense that I can't replicate those things, I don't have that kind of power, it is a miracle. But it is not in a miracle in that it is an unusual occurrence. God in His setup has prepared those ways uh, to occur. And in that way, it's a miracle because, because he did it. <laughs> Secondly, uh, some try to explain away miracles. Oh, those aren't miracles. Those simple people, they were just ignorant. They didn't have the knowledge we have now, the technology we have now. And so it was just a simplistic way of trying to explain something that was above their heads. Because they were just such simple people. Lived in a much simpler time. Did not have near the understanding that we now have. And what's even more crazy are the preachers who want to explain away miracles. Miracles? Really? Like, there are those who say that the Red Sea was really the Sea of Reeds. And the Sea of Reeds is 18 inches of water in a marsh-type land. And so those preachers say that God's people, when they were escaping slavery, leaving Egypt, walked through 18 inches of water. But what these same preachers conveniently leave out, that a whole army of Egyptians were drowned in 18 inches of water. And, and so they forget about that. Or those who say, well, Jonah, you know, that's just another fish story. And you know how it is with fish stories. The fish, every time you tell it, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it got big until it was a whale, a great big fish that swallowed Jonah. You can't believe that stuff. Or another, William Barclay, who has written commentaries, he also doesn't believe in many of the miracles. I have a set of some of Barclay's commentaries in my office. And he explains away the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. 
And what he says is that, you know, the little boy goes out, you know, he's got his bread and his fish. And because he's so generous, because he's so sacrificial, the other people were actually hiding their lunches. And they pulled their lunches out and said, man, you are just such a great example. You just, you know, I'm just so amazed by you, little boy. Here's my lunch. We'll add to it. And now everybody has plenty to eat. Oh, come on, Barkley. You know, talk about trying to stretch stuff. But then there's also a hype with miracles <laughs> where you have religious leaders that talk like they can actually perform miracles. I'll never forget when I was going to school. I was in my car headed to Texas where I went to school. And um, I heard, I think I was in Louisiana, and I heard this preacher on the radio. And the funny thing was I wasn't really listening to a religious station. I just was kind of tuning through, and this guy comes in, and I listen, and he says, You help me with my miracle, and I'll help you with yours. And I thought, you can't do a miracle, and I can't either. That's God business to try to do miracles, but we often have these miracles hopped like it's something that we are able to do. 37 times recorded Jesus doing what we cannot do, these miraculous signs. And you see, God is not a prisoner of his natural law. Because what happens in a miracle is his natural laws. He steps outside of those laws because he is above and beyond those laws of the universe. For example, a plane in an airline, a 747. or Some of these planes are amazingly big. And they're filled with lots of people. And they're filled with a lot more people now because they made these seats smaller to pack in more people. To get them in there. And then by the time you add thousands and thousands of pounds of luggage, you think, how is this big hunk of metal going to go up into the air because of this little law we know is the law of gravity? Well, that happens because the law of gravity is superseded by some other laws, like the law of aerodynamics and the law of propulsion, where you have the force and the air gets underneath the wings, and with the, great, the right power and being able to supersede those laws with these other laws, soon the plane is flying in the air. Jesus Christ, He superseded natural laws. Dead people came back to life. Lame people were able to walk. Blind people able to see. Deaf people able to hear. Why? Because the natural law was superseded by the one who is above the law. To illustrate that, I thought of years ago, I saw this show and it was talking about a guy in his basement that had set up this incredible series of, of trains and it was literally a village where they had people and homes and, and, and pets and, and all kinds of trains and it was all controlled by a remote this guy had, but every once in a while, he would walk into this little world that he had created, and he would move a train, and he would turn it the other direction, so that it could actually go in a different direction. He would upset that little world by literally stepping into the world and changing it himself. And that is what God does when he does miracles. He steps in. And he works above and beyond what is a natural occurrence. 
Why, why does he do miracles? Number one, he does miracles because he loves people. People are hurt. People are facing tough circumstances they can't overcome. And so sometimes God steps in and he prepares a way for that to be fixed. Secondly, uh, these miracles, they prove who he is. I mean, nobody else can do that except God. And so we have to give credit to him because he is the only one capable of that. Certainly what Jesus did, nobody else could do. It was evidence. It pointed directly to his identity that he is God. Not only these signs, I, I want to talk about the crowd. And the crowd was, we'll call it undercommitted. In verse 23, it says, While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about the fact he was in the temple and he was upset and he formed whips out of the cords that were used to tie the animals. And he formed a whip and he drove out these evil merchants who were taking advantage of the people who were simply trying to honor God with a proper sacrifice. And so his adversaries, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they said, give us a sign. And Jesus didn't directly give a sign, did he? He talked about the temple being destroyed and being raised in three days, and they didn't understand any of that. But what's interesting, he did not give a sign to those people who demanded a sign, but after that meeting, what did he do? He went out and he gave signs everywhere. We're not told exactly what these signs are, but these signs pointed to the fact, this is no ordinary man. This is God himself. They weren't committed, this crowd. Some in the crowd came. They were committed to seeing the signs. They wanted a taste of that sign in their lives. But it didn't mean they wanted the one who was giving the sign. Uh, in James talks about faith a lot throughout the book of James. And uh, in chapter 2, he talks about several kinds of faith. Uh, in verse 19, it says, You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder or tremble. In other words, it's not enough just to believe that there is a God or that God is out there. You see, the demons believe in God. <laughs> they know He's there, and they're trembling. They're terrified of Him because they know that one day they will have to come under His submission. And so they're terrified. So it's not enough just to believe God is there. That is a demonic type of faith. But secondly, there's a dead faith. A dead faith simply means I say it, but there's nothing to prove it. My life does not match up with my lips, with what I say. Um, that's a dead faith. And, and it's a faith that may be religious, but there's no relationship connecting that faith. It is disconnected from God himself. Third, there is a dynamic faith. That is a faith 
where a person says, God, I want to know you. Because first, God has said, you can know me. And that person responds. And a relationship begins. I love 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but a power. What is power? It's a life that's been changed, that's been transformed. It's not somebody who is perfect, but somebody who is certainly a new creation. Um, God's done a work. This crowd, they were happy with the signs as long as it was on their terms. As long as they were able to call the shots. They were willing to accept him as a miracle worker, but not as their own personal savior. They're willing to accept his miracles, but they weren't willing to truly follow him and be his disciples. Warren Wearsby calls these people unsaved believers. An interesting term. Unsaved believers. They believed he could do the miracle, but... They were not saved, transformed, or changed by his life. A couple of passages. This is John 8, 30 and 31. He says, Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. This is the dynamic faith. Their lives have been changed because it's more than just words. It has literally impacted who they are. And now, in contrast to that, I want to read from Acts chapter 8, beginning at verse 13. Simon, this is not Simon Peter, it's another Simon. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So he believed in the miracles, the great signs that he witnessed firsthand, But uh, there's a difference. Let me read on. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. God. There's a huge difference there. There's a huge difference in wanting God for what He can do for you and wanting God because He is God. Big, big difference. And this is pointed out in, in both of these relationships, the contrast of these relationships. At this point, He's got the crowd. Many followed, many believed. Jesus did not speak highly of the type of belief that they placed in Him. And from this point on, he begins to get more and more secretive. He begins not to be as much in front of the crowds as he speaks. And he begins to say things that they disagree with. He begins to call people to take up their cross, to deny themselves. 
and to follow Him daily. And that results in one of two choices, either contention or conversion. There was no middle ground. Either people would truly turn their lives toward Him or they were against Him. At the feeding of the 5,000, this is evident. In John chapter 6, in one verse it says, When they saw the signs Jesus did, they intended to make Him king by force. They said, man, this guy can make my life easy. So we need to place him on the throne. We need to give him control. Why? Because I want this. Jesus then began to speak to them that they must follow him. They must eat of his flesh. That they must be willing to suffer in order to follow him. And it says that many turned away from him they, they did not want Him to be their Savior. They were all about following the signs instead of the Savior. And here's the problem with that. If you're just looking for the signs, the signs will never be enough. There'll always be some sign that does not go your way. God, do this for me, and it doesn't happen. And it, it gives you a chance to not follow God to rebel against Him because your confidence and your faith is not really in the Savior, but it is in that sign. I have to have that sign, but the sign is never enough. We need the Savior Himself, not merely the sign. And that leads us to this last point, which is Christ. The fact that although they showed some commitment to Him, He was not committed to them. Isn't that interesting? We always talk about commit your life to Christ. But as we look at this last part of this text, it says Christ was not committed to them. So let's look at this again. I want to read uh, the, these last two verses again. Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He would not entrust himself. They believed. Jesus didn't believe. <laughs> they had a type of faith that says, I believe in Christ. But Christ looked at their hearts, and he knew really what they were thinking. He knew their true motivations. And although they made a profession and they claimed to believe in him, Christ did not receive that belief because he knew it was not a belief to be my Savior but a belief to do my bidding for those signs to be for me, for what I want. He says, I'm not going to entrust myself into that. What kind of faith was that? Well, remember the parable of the seed and the sower? Or the sower and the seed? <laughs> and in that, one of those descriptions listed had to do with rocky soil. And I want to read from this, this is Matthew 13. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. 
but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Boy, this, this puts a whole new light on how often we talk in church. In other words, we often say, are you committed to Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to Him? But just as important is the question, has Christ committed Himself to you? Does He see that your repentance is genuine? That your trust is real? Or are you just trying to escape the fire without following the Savior? Without having a real relationship? I just got to get this out of the way. I just got to make that commitment so I don't have to worry about God any longer in my life. God doesn't want to free you so you can avoid Him for the rest of your existence. He wants to free you so that you might know Him for the rest of your existence and have a real relationship with Him. That is the real heart of our God. Jesus sees through you, man. You can't really play games with Him. He knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly where you are. And the good news is, he didn't run away from the cross. He continued toward it. Because his love for us, man, it is more than we will ever fully fathom or grasp or know. And we will spend all of eternity worshiping him. Because that's how great his love is. It is more than we can even express In some ways, I have to admit, it's very frightening to think that he really does know me that well. Sometimes this preacher says things and thinks things and does things that are not preacherly. And we're all that way. But you know, that's why I love the way 2 Corinthians 5 closes. He who knew no sin became sin for us in him that we might become the righteousness of God. That is the story of the depth and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. See, Hebrews 4.13 tells us, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Don't think that you can play hide and seek with God. It's impossible. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before him who is able to give, to whom we must give account, to him to whom we must give account. We're all going to stand before God. We're going to be before God one day. We're not going to miss that, no matter how good we may think we are at fooling others or hiding. But it is impossible to do that before God because he's God. Spurgeon used to say it this way, your ordinary face will do. I mean, why not? He knows every type of face that we can put on because he knows us. You know, there are bumper stickers out there that say, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And that is true. Um, you know, the old saying we've heard many times, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't join it or you'll ruin it. Because we all have this issue known as sin. Thankfully, when he saves us, he doesn't 
just leave and let us wander through this life alone until we go to heaven. He walks it with us. And I love Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in other words, in a very real sense, we remain God's project under construction. He continues to work in our lives because he loves us. You think, I'm a mess. He knows. And he loves you. He loves you very deeply. Jesus was upset with these people because they did not want to be honest with him. And the only way to know him is to be honest with him. To quit the games. It, it says in a Proverbs 28, 13, that those who ref refuse to confess their sins are not going to prosper. Man, we have to. We have to be willing to just be honest before him. And I love it that, like I said, if you take out these chapter breaks, I love the fact it doesn't really end with verse 25. He did not need a man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man, because that's pretty, you know, it's pretty negative. Oh, he knows what we're really like, so, you know, he's just, eh, I'm not going to trust, not going to trust Todd, no way. But it moves right in to Nicodemus. This guy that's a Pharisee, he saw these signs, but he also knew what was in Nicodemus' heart. And he had appointment, an appointment with Nicodemus because he knew that Nicodemus had come to that place where he needed to know who Jesus is. He was ready for conversion. He was ready for change. And so he needed to meet Jesus firsthand. And guys, that's, that's where we all are. Are we playing games? Are we not willing to listen? Are we ready to listen? He's there. And thank you, Jesus, that when we're not ready to listen, you don't immediately send the lightning bolt. Because he has every right to do that. But we're still here. So that means we still have an opportunity to bow the knee and to say, <laughs> Lord, I know you know me. I want to know you. Lord, I want you to be able to trust what I'm saying. I'm not trying to pull the wool over your eyes. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I thank you for your word. Um, Father, uh, a lot of years have passed since this was written and, and since uh, these events occurred. But people haven't changed. We still need you, and you still know us, and sometimes we're not honest. And God, I pray that um, we would be right now. For people who are listening online, people here in person, um, Father, may we hear from you. Holy Spirit, show us the truth, and may we not run from it, but may we run to you. This morning, may that occur at this altar to come and to pray about what needs to be addressed with you to make decisions where we are but also to make them public if we need to to say the work of God is in me and I want others to see it 
Lord, I love what you say in your word in, in John 6, where you say the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. And Father, maybe it's time for that this morning. Where is their unbelief, and where does that need to change for us this morning? May that become belief. You know where that's needed, so Holy Spirit, I, I'm just going to give you room. <laughs> Why not, right? You're the one in charge. Um, maybe someone needs to take that first step of salvation and trust you and begin the walk that will lead to the destination of one day being with you for all eternity. Maybe there's some decisions that we need to submit to you. You know what's in our hearts. Lord, um, may we submit, may we follow. Father, whatever it is you are up to, Lord, may we not run away from you, but run to you in Christ's name.